We greet you tonight in His name, the one we have been exalting through song service and hymn. I don't think there's a sweeter sound on this side of heaven when God's redeemed get together and sing praises unto their King. It really was inspiring to sing those hymns together this evening with the redeemed of the Lord. Well, we can truly say it's been another rich day for us to be here with you folks. Our souls have been richly fed. I told Brother Kurt after he was finished preaching this morning, I don't know if there's anything I enjoy more than listening to the preaching of God's Word. It feeds our soul. The Bible says in the last days there many shall run to and fro upon the earth for the famine of the hearing of the Word. But we are blessed tonight to sit here in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and I want to share a message with you from God's Word tonight on the subject of sanctification and holiness. God's blessed Holy Spirit and life that He instills into His children. Let's pray. Shall we bow our heads? Eternal Father in Heaven, we thank You this evening for Your Word. Your Word shall never pass away, though heaven and earth and all that is therein shall, it shall abide forever. Your Word is also settled in heaven, and it's never going to change. It's like you yourself. It's immutable, unchangeable, and we're grateful to you for that this evening. We thank you, Lord. Your Word is quick, it's sharp, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And we're grateful tonight that we can look into the depth of your Word, and there our soul can be fed from the eternal truth that your Word is. Absolute truth to keep us, not only through time, but for all of eternity. And we're grateful for that this evening. Be with us now. Anoint us, we pray, with your Holy Spirit, and open each of our hearts to hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches this evening, and unto each of us as individuals. We'll give you the praise, for we ask it in your worthy name. Amen. As we think of this subject of sanctification and holiness, I think as we think back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were created before they fell, they were in an entire perfect state of holiness before their Maker. But in the fall, in the sin whereof they became partakers of and it passed upon all, that's a feature that God created in, in them that they lost. They lost that feature of holiness and became sinful, became defiled before God. And Jesus knew, God knew, when he told them that the seed of the woman would bruise the, the head of the serpent, that one day God would restore again that holiness in his people, the redeemed. And I believe that's what the psalmist is alluding to in Psalms chapter 23 when he says, He restoreth my soul. And he does that, not our flesh. Our bodies are still living in a sinful state whereof they will die. But He does restore our souls. And we're grateful for that this evening in the likeness of the very image of God. When a sinner believes and is washed and redeemed and converted, he's then sanctified. And God's gracious work in sanctification by which the believer then exerts his own will and effort to walk in holiness before his God. 
Turn our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1 and read some scriptures there this evening. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 18 says, For as much as you know <coughs> that we were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's who Jesus was. He was that lamb without blemish and without spot, and He redeemed us. Now let's just back up. To verse 11. Searching what here, or what manner the Spirit of Christ which was in them, speaking of the prophets of the Old Testament, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us did they minister the things which are now reported unto you by them which have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. I believe the angels lean forward and we're listening to the singing tonight. But they don't sing the redeemed of the, Lord, of the Lamb like you and I do. Wherefore, but they desire to look into it. Gird up the loins of your minds. That means gather them together. They have a way of straying, don't they? Our mind does. Gird them up tonight, brothers and sisters, and be sober. And hope to the end for the grace it is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's God's will for us this evening that that grace could be brought unto us through Christ as He's revealed to us. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. We all have had former lifestyles, have we not? Yes, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, where at one time we walked according to the course of this world and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We all were the same. There's none of us can say we were good. No, not one. We walked the course of this world. And we had upon ourselves the impending judgment of a holy God when we walked that course. But it says, God who is rich in mercy for His great love or with He loved us. He has changed our lives. Verse 15. But as He which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Young people and to all this evening, that's God's will for your life. You would be holy in all manner, in every demeanor of your life, in every move you make, in all your actions, be holy in all your manner of conversation. And I believe we said that last evening or one of the evenings, the word conversation here is a bit different than what we use it in our English language. This word is used by Apostle Peter at least seven times, if not eight, in his two epistles. And it doesn't mean our speech or our talk, but rather it means our behavior. It means our conduct and deportment, how we behave ourselves. So he says, be ye holy in all manner of your behavior, because it is written... Be ye holy, for I am holy. And our brethren, through the faithfulness of their ministry in the Word, has been extolling to us and lifting up the greatness of our great God. We serve a God who is great of all the attributes of our God. We're grateful that He is a God of light. We're grateful that He's a God of justice. 
We're grateful that He's a God of love this evening. Oh, the love of God! How rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forever more endure the saints and angels' songs. He's an immutable God, which means He does not change. He cannot change. He will not change. He is forever the same. But I don't believe there's an attribute of our God expressed more in His Word than that is, He is a holy God. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, Who is likened unto thee among the gods, glorious in holiness? And Isaiah the prophet said, he says, When I saw the Lord high and lifted up, there he saw the seraphims round about the throne, and they each had six wings, and they covered their feet, and they covered their face, and with twain they did fly, and they all cried together, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You see a scene like that very similar in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 8, when John the Revelator looked into the glorious kingdom of our God, and the four and twenty elders around the throne, and the four beasts, it says, they rest not day and night, but cry, Holy, 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 unto the Lord our God. He's a holy God. He wants His children to be holy too. That's His will for each of you Bible students. As you would go away from this Bible school at the end of this week, if you can contain everything you've heard, one of them said today in their prayer group, they don't think they can take any more. They're just about full. They don't know how, and they don't want to miss nothing. They don't want to forget nothing and leave anything behind. But you've been hearing a tremendous amount of input. The Word of God speaking truth into your heart and into your lives from these faithful teachers. God bless you. But when you go out of these doors and go to your respective homes and serve in your communities where God has planted you, may you be a more holier person than you were, not by yourself and of yourselves, but by the grace of God that worketh in you. When believers are redeemed, the Bible tells us, and I suppose the process of which this happens in each individual can vary one from the other. It's not so much we can point back to a certain time and a certain day, and I know some people have the, the, the certain time of the day or the night in which they believe that they were first converted. It's not so important maybe to remember the time, but it is important to make sure there was a time. That's what's important to make sure there was a change of life, a transformation, when you know you passed from one kingdom into the next, when you passed from darkness into light, when you were born of the Spirit of the living God. It says in the book of Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 that He sends His Spirit, sends forth His Spirit into your heart crying what? Abba, Father. Yes, that's the... Hebrew words that little boys would call their father, Abba, or you might say Daddy, or Papa, or whatever your boys call you, or you call it your father. Romans chapter 8, the very same uh, thing is given again. It says in the book of Revel uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, that we now, through the Spirit, become an habitation of God, through the Spirit. God lives in us. Can you imagine that? This great God that we read about, this great God that we were singing about, He doesn't want to dwell in the heaven. He says, all these things in the earth my, my hands have made. What house will ye build me, says in Isaiah chapter 66. And again, Stephen, in his first and last message we have recorded in Scripture there, he quotes that Scripture from the book of Isaiah. What is the house that you would build me? For he says, God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. 
Men and people in churches build buildings, large buildings, elaborate buildings of great architect and style. But brothers and sisters, God is not touched and moved and pleased by those things. No, not like he was when David built him a temple. I don't think there's anything any man ever done on earth uh, in that time more than what David had a desire to build a habitation of God on earth. Please God well. But he says, I don't dwell in temples made with hands. You get into some of the old cities in this country and you see huge, gigantic buildings and sanctuaries and, and shrines all over the world built to worship. But God don't dwell in those places. He dwells right in your heart. Young ladies and young men, he dwells right in your heart. Right inside here, that's where he dwells. We have become an habitation of God through the Spirit. Turn to some other scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here it is. thought it would be one up here somewhere. Thank you for the water. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here we have these two verses in verse 30 and 31. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Our God, through Jesus, is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. What a powerful truth of God's Scripture that He endows to His children. Redemption. He redeemed us. We were lost. We were going astray. He created us once, but we turned our back upon Him. And it says we've all like sheep gone astray. But He redeemed us. He bought us back. He brought us back. Yes, He did. He's made unto us wisdom that we can understand how to live His will here on earth. Righteousness. He implants the imputed righteousness, which Paul says that I might not have my own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness which is of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That righteousness He gives to us and He enables us to live holy, upright lives and then He sanctifies us for His purpose. What is sanctification? Sanctification is set apart holy for God. Separated from the unclean to the clean for God's purpose. We read uh, in the Old Testament many times the word sanctification, to sanctify. When God told Moses to ordain priests, he ordained Aaron there, and he ordained his sons, and he told Moses to sanctify them, people. Told him to sanctify Aaron. Told him to sanctify his sons. Told him to sanctify their clothing. All their clothing. Told him to sanctify all the vessels that they would use there in the ceremonial uh, worship service in that time. Told him to sanctify the ark. The whole tabernacle was to be sanctified. The table, the vessels, and the laver, and his foot, and the candlestick were all to be washed. And then Moses anointed them with holy oil and sanctified them to God and to His service. Now, what did that do to them? That separated them from other purposes. 
Those vessels, for example, were vessels that were sanctified for the purpose of the Lord's work and worship. And they, those vessels were set apart from all other vessels and all other uses, and they were to be given wholly unto God. That means all the silverware or the plates or the dishes, the vessels, everything they used for those feasts of tabernacles, they were not ordinary vessels anymore. They were not the same ones you would use down at the benefit sale. They were not the ones you would use at the family reunion. They were only, always, ever to be used for God and His purpose. That's what sanctified means. Same with Aaron. He was not to be anything else, to do anything else. He and his sons were separated, their clothing and everything about them, the altar, the shoebread, the table, all that was set apart for God's purpose and use only, for nothing else. And that's what the word sanctified means. It means to be set apart holy unto God. God wants to set you apart holy for himself. You are a holy vessel unto God when He has redeemed you. Holy unto the Lord. Let's turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and look at some scriptures here. (coughs) Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Question. Why do you think that's a question? Why do you think it's in the question form? Don't you think the Corinthian brethren knew? Don't you think it was ever taught to them or, or preached to them that they are the temple of God? Well, the Corinthian people, like a lot of people today, had some problems. They had some sins. They had some moral sins. Yes, moral sins. And Paul's writing to this church, and he says to them, Don't you know? Don't you understand that God is made sanctification through Jesus Christ to us, and that you are the temple of the living God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple, which means to ruin it, it means to spoil it, to waste it or corrupt it, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, the temple you are. You are the temple. You are the church. The temple is the church. The word sanctuary is another word that that often is used for the place of worship, and and it's probably just about the next Greek word in your Greek dictionary is from sanctification. It's not the process of sanctification, but it's the place that's sanctified. And you are the sanctuary of God. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Can we sing that song? You know that song? Let's sing it. Let's stand up and sing that song together. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. Thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. 
seated. Thank you. Lord, prepare me. Help me not to be ignorant of the fact that I don't know that I'm the temple of God. Let's turn to some more scriptures in the book of Corinthians, chapter 6. We find some of the same language here. Now, in chapter 6, he's talking about moral purity and how that moral purity is defiled through fornication and adultery. And for the sake of time, he says in verse 15, we're not going to read all this, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. Then he goes on down to say how the two when they're joined together are one. And he's going down there to say, flee fornication, verse 18. For every, we'll read that verse, for every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And then in the light of that contact, he says, what? Question mark. What? He's at him again. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Now, that has another dimension to it, doesn't it? Not only are you the temple of God, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You are sold out to Jesus Christ. Jesus has accepted the man, deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. He cannot be my disciple. When we deny ourselves, we disown ourselves. And we give ourselves over to Jesus Christ and for God to live in us through his Holy Spirit. For ye are bought with a price. That price is the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> Therefore, when you're sanctified, and now that you're the temple of God, and you're no longer your own, but you are His, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God in your body. And you know, folks, that's exactly why God created us. He didn't create us to live in sin. God created us to worship Him and to glorify Him and to bring glory unto His name. And when we serve Him, when He redeems us and we serve Him and we separate ourselves from sin holy unto Him, we glorify His holy name through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So let's turn to another book in Corinthians, the second book, and the sixth chapter there. Here we find these words again mentioned. <coughs> little cough of mine is still still present with me. Let's begin reading at verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. When we're sanctified, we're set apart. And we're not to be connected any longer by a yoke a covenant, a binding responsibility upon our lives to them. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? It doesn't. They cannot fellowship together. Not righteousness with unrighteousness. They cannot have communion. They cannot have sweet communion and fellowship and intimate relationships together there. They can't do that. And what communion has light with darkness? Does it? Can it? Absolutely not. For the presence of one is the absence of the other. 
The presence of light is the absence of darkness. They cannot, you cannot mix them together. It's impossible. And, he furthermore says, what concord or agreement has Christ with Belial? The devil. A false god that the heathen pagan people worship. What concord, what agreement, what, what relationship here does Jesus have with them? Or, he keeps on going, he belabors the fact, what part have he that believeth with an infidel? And Brother Andy talked about an infidel this afternoon. He said, if a man provides not for his own, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. An unbelieving, ungodly person. One who defies God, who doesn't believe in God, an agnostic, infidelic. John Newton was one of them one time. They said he had a mouth that could curse and blaspheme God like none other. And you know what, young people? John Newton had a godly mother. And she taught him the Scriptures. And she taught him the truth. And she prayed over him much. But you know, when little John was seven years old, she passed away. And at the age of 11, he went with his father out to sea on the ships. And he became little by little and gradually by gradually he forgot the things his mother taught him and he became a very wild, seafaring slave trader on ships that could defy God. An atheist almost, you would say. One night in a storm, John Newton was converted to Jesus Christ. And those prayers of his mother's and that truth she planted, that seed of truth she implanted into his little heart when just a little young, or a young parent teach and preach and speak the truth of God into those little hearts. He was converted. And he got born again to Jesus Christ. And he wrote that song, that all-time favorite song, probably none other more favorite than that old song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. He was an infidel. And the temple of God has no part with an infidel. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For ye are, here we go again, the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them. Who is the them? Who are you talking about? Why, it says in verse 14, the unbelievers, that's who. Come out from among the unbelievers, he says, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now God, through His miraculous work and power and life-changing strength, can, can turn people like John Newton and you and I around and make new creatures out of us, but you take notice of the language here, there's some things you must endeavor to. There is. You co-partner co with God in this thing of sanctification. And you need to make some choices. 
to say no to the unbelievers. I will not do that anymore. I will not walk that way anymore. I will not go there anymore. I separate myself from that as the Lord has told me to do and touch not the unclean thing. The word touch is a rather strong word for touch. but almost means to, to uh, connect to and cling to. What's the unclean thing? Well, I believe Brother Larry has been teaching us on that and yesterday he drew the big black circle and then he drew a little red circle in the middle of the black circle which was the church in the earth. And he went on there and he taught us many truths from Scripture how this world, all this world, lieth, and as he said, is marinating in wickedness. First John chapter, er, er, the book of John says there, the whole world lies in wickedness and Jesus more than once, Jesus more than twice or thrice, said clearly that Satan is the prince or the chief of this world. That's the unclean thing. The kingdom of this world. The kingdom of darkness. The system of this world. When we're sanctified, we are set apart. We are separated as Jesus who is harmless and holy and separate from sinners, it says in the book of Hebrews. And he says, touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. And the promise is more than that. Not only am I going to receive you, I'm going to be a father to you. You might not have any earthly father. You might be an orphan. Or you might not have an earthly father who lives anymore. Or you might not feel you belong on earth. But I'm going to give you a place where you can belong. I'm going to be your father from now on out. And you're going to be my sons. And you're going to be my daughters. Saith the Lord God. Saith the Lord Almighty. What a powerful influence that God has and He adopted us into His, His, His family as sons of His crying, Daddy. Verse 7, chapter 7, verse 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, professing holiness in the fear of God. Holiness in the fear of God. Let's read some more scriptures to talk about sanctification and our bodies being the temples of the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter two verse thirteen is the one I wanted to read. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren. Beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And there are other verses, and for the sake of time I won't read them all, but there is, there is New Testament verses that says we are also sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're sanctified by faith. We're sanctified by the Spirit. Jesus says in John chapter 17, verses 16 and 17, He says, Sanctify them through thy truth. And then He says, Thy word is truth. We're sanctified by truth also. Sanctification touches all parts of our lives. Why, Paul even writes to the Corinthian people that if a woman who is an unbeliever, uh, if, if she has a believing husband, she is in part at least sanctified because of that believing, sanctified individual in their house. And he says, else were your children unclean, but now they are holy. There is a certain aspect of God, even when one partner is not a converted person, in that home and over those children that sets them apart from the unbelieving people who live across the street. 
They are sanctified. Hebrews 13, 4 says, Marriage is honorable and all, and the bed is undefiled. The word undefiled is sanctified. Same thing. It's sanctified, holy unto God. God approves that. God ordained that. That's the oldest institution in, in the history of man. When God made Adam and Eve, and he, he built and instituted the home, male and female, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. That was God's plan from the beginning. Indeed it was. And the Bible says there, it's holy when it's done in the bonds of holy matrimony. But, there's more to that verse, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. They are not sanctified. They are the unbelieving world. They are those yet that have not been, been washed in the blood. They do not want it is to attain to the the redemption and the righteousness and the wisdom and the sanctification of God through Jesus Christ. Well, the Bible even says something else yet. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 5 that all creatures of God has been created to be received with thanksgiving. And he said, if it is received with thanksgiving, it is sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. Even the very French fries you eat, brethren... When you ask God's blessing on them, they're sanctified. They're different from the French fries at the next table of the unbeliever. They are. Or it's the pizza or the Chinese food or whatever you're eating. It really don't matter to God. God separates that food wholly to you because you're His temple. You belong to God. That's tremendous truth in that. Sanctification of God through the Spirit. All right, we want to look at some practical areas for you, dear young people, this evening. There's a lot more could be said on the teaching of Scripture and the theology of the doctrine of sanctification. Many, many more verses, numerous, and on holiness. The Bible says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. All the peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, or woman. That means all mankind, speaking generally of of all mankind, no man shall see the Lord without holiness. It's not an option, like some folks say it is tonight. It's not how you live after you're saved. It's just so you're saved. That's what matters. We're all Christians, some folks say. A number of years ago, there was about eight of us brethren boarding an aircraft in Atlanta, Georgia, and we walked out across the open uh, paved area there and went up a stair stairs into the aircraft. We got in there and got seated, and it wasn't too long. A flight attendant came back and said, uh, um, what are you people? She said, the, the, the pilot saw you boarding, and he sent me back here to inquire what you people are. I was sitting second in from the aisle. I looked over to my older brother. I said, you tell her. He said, you tell her. I just said, well, we're Christians. You know what she said? She said, well, we know that. Everyone's a Christian. And that is the mentality of a lot of people in the world today. Because Christ died and put that in place, that automatically makes everyone Christian. Well, he said, I didn't think you were Amish or you wouldn't be on this airplane. You'd be home flying with your horses. So what are you people? So we tried to explain unto them what we are. Now, young people, you heard me say and read from... 
Corinthians there that your, your body, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are constituted of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. We read about them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I pray God your whole body, soul, and spirit be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our body is the physical part. And I just want us to remember that all of our body is us. Ye are. You. We use the word you today. But he says, ye are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You and all that constitutes you is the Spirit of God. So we just want to look at a number of areas here that hopefully can be helpful to you in keeping yourselves pure as the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to start with our thought life first. The things we think about. The psalmist prayed in Psalms 19, verse 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable unto thee, O Lord, my God, my, and my Redeemer, my strength and my Redeemer. Ask yourselves that question before God. Is the thoughts that I think and allow my mind to think, are they pleasing and acceptable to God? And if they aren't, the Bible tells us to bring those thoughts into captivity... Yes, he does. And you need to bring them into subjection to the holiness of God's Word. And if you have an area that especially you would be weakened in your thought life, you address that area by appropriate scriptures. And you memorize those scriptures and you keep them hidden in your heart. And you use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is one of the pieces of the armor the Christian defined there in Ephesians 6. And you just take that sword right after him and resist the devil. The Bible says you need to resist him. More than one place. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. For he walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom may devour. James also says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. We need to do the same thing. When we have inappropriate, indecent thoughts in our minds, and those thoughts just want to linger. Because you know what thoughts will do? They'll turn into actions. And actions turn into habits. And habits turn into what makes our character then. They really mold what we really are. And our character, unless checked by God, will determine where we spend eternity. Proverbs 23.7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart so easy. So if you could be flashed on the board here, the things you were thinking about all day and last evening and the day before, that's what you are. The things you allowed your mind to think upon. James 2.4 says we can become judges of evil thoughts. We see something, we begin to think. Our mind begins to work. We begin to form opinions. And they're not always accurate, are they? No. We can become judges of evil thoughts when we haven't heard the whole story. We don't know all the details. You talk about a man coming in with gay clothing and you let him have a high place and you ask the man who's dressed uh, uh, a little bit more uh, normal to sit in a place back here. He says, you become judges of evil thoughts. And he doesn't want us to do that. Behold, the judge standeth at the door, he says. So keep your mind pure. Your reading material. One of the brethren yesterday in a message says our eyes... What, what was it? How many, what, what percent? Eighty percent of what our heart enters into there is through the eye gate. This eye gate here. Jesus said if your eye offends you, pluck it out. You'd rather go through life with one eye 
and make it to glory than have both eyes and lose your soul in hell. The lust of the eyes is one of the things of what? The world. And who rules the world? Satan. And he says all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Yes. Think about your eyes. And what enters in there that's what feeds your mind. What you read. The books you read. What you allow enter into your ears also. They create thoughts in your mind. We want to look at that a little bit later on down here. Next, we want to think about our words. The words we say is very important. We can defile the temple of the living God simply by the words we speak. And I think it was Brother Larry yesterday had a very good illustration on that. Appreciated that very much. Our words, there again, the same, same verse, Psalms 19, verse 14 says, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Jesus says, Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. For what's the more, what, for whatsoever cometh of it, more than this, is cometh from evil, he says. That's something to think about, isn't it? Sometimes we might say, Yeah, honest, that's the truth. He says, Let your yea be yea. In other words, he says, He says that after it talks about swearing, neither by heaven nor by, by earth, for he says, you can't change anything anyhow, so just let your word be your bond. Now, we don't believe in swearing. I don't believe you young people swear, but sometimes we get a little bit loose. Maybe in our, in our uh, conversation, I was working in a room one time, and the homeowner was there and his son, and a number of us men were working in the room, and something blew out, or flew off the end of the air hose or something and cracked against the wall, and this man jumped, and he said, holy jumping jelly beans. I said, what did you say? And he hung his head and he wouldn't say it. He wouldn't say it. And I never heard of holy jelly beans. But, you know, just exclamations like that to add a little bit more juice to it, you know, a little bit more emphasis to it. We need to, we need to be cautious in those things that we can defile our temple. Yes, we can. The Bible tells us in Titus 3, 2, to speak evil of no man. No matter how evil he is, no matter how you might not appreciate the president of your country, it don't matter what a person has done to you. The scripture is clear. Speak evil of no man. And I'm going to add old woman. Evil speaking, the Bible talks about, corrupts and soils the holiness and the, profane, and, and the, the temple that God lives in. What happens when we defile the temple? Well, the Holy Ghost lives in here, and the Bible tells us we can grieve the Holy Spirit. It says, grieve not the Spirit, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. The Bible also says in 1 Thessalonians 5 that you can quench the Spirit. And I believe you can also go so far, and there will come a line and a time and a point where he will take it at his exit. And it says, he that defiles the temple, him God shall destroy. So keep yourselves pure for Jesus Christ in your communication as well. Inner attitudes, and we could probably spend the rest of the evening on this one. That's where that hatred works. You young people don't have any problem with that, I'm sure. Or jealousy, or envy, or malice. You know, malice, it's a tricky one. Yes, it is. I tell you, that's, that's, a, that's a smooth one there. Malice is that ill will you have towards someone else, usually of your own equal. Malice is the feeling you have towards someone that maybe has replaced you. 
to your disappointment. And it's real easy when they fail or when things don't well, it's real easy to get pretty glad about it inside. We know better than to say anything. We're taught better than that. We're not supposed to say anything. Good for him. And when he excels and succeeds and go ahead, it sort of makes us sad inside. That's malice. That thing really can get close. Emulation is another word, trying to outdo each other. The Bible talks about having a critical spirit. Or Jesus says those thoughts and things that proceed out of our heart. One of the things he mentions there is an evil eye, which I think is a critical spirit. Remember the man who complained about the, the husbandman that hired him at the beginning of the day and he only got a penny because that's what they all got and he bore the whole heat of the day? Jesus, the master said to him, Did I not give you what you agreed for? Is thine eye evil because mine is good? Is what he said to him. He had a critical attitude towards his master. An evil eye. Finger pointing. Fault finding. It's going to happen very quickly as we relate to people and experiences of life. Unforgiveness is a biggie. Young people learn the road of forgiveness. To release people. To let it go. Even if they don't respond right, you need to let go of it. You cannot hold that grudge. You cannot nurse that grudge. You cannot say, well, his fault. Some people will say, well, I don't, I'll forgive you, but I won't trust you anymore. That's not, you're not to the bottom of it yet, if that's where you're at. Here again, these are real, everyday occurrences as we deal and mingle and associate and relate to people, whether it be in the home, the workplace, the church, or the community, wherever it might be. And if we don't take care of that forgiveness, that thing will eat, it'll fester, it won't go away, and it'll turn to bitterness, and that bitterness will turn to resentment, and it'll destroy us if we don't allow the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to give us strength to lay it down and say, I release you. That's what forgiveness means. I release you. We say forgive and forget, but we can't forget. Only God can do that. He says, I'll, I'll, for, I'll forget your sins and your iniquities. I'll remember no more. But we do not have the ability to forget like that. We can in a sense. And we can deliberately try and forget. And we can to a point, And as time goes on, it'll fade away. But what it means is to release. I release you for what you've done to me. Sometimes we can get stubborn inside. I know none of you have this trouble. I shouldn't probably even be talking about it. Or rebellious. Ooh, or unsubmissive to the authorities God has given us in our life. That will, that will defile the temple that God has given you. Sometimes we get plain down irritable. And we get quarrelsome. And we get argumentative. Sometimes we can get grouchy as an old bear with a sore ear. Get too close to us and ah, we'll snap you off. Sometimes we can get touchy. Real easily offended, you know. God help us to be able to overcome by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ these human normal tendencies that we live with on an everyday basis. Number four, dishonesty and untruthfulness is one of the inner attitudes that can Put a moral or put a stain upon your temple. You are to come out and be separate from the world. Separate yourself from that lifestyle. 
That's how the world lives. They live in dishonesty. They live in this secretness thing, you know, and evasive. And they'll, they'll, some people are so slippy, and you can question and cross-question. I mean, they'll, they'll just go around that thing and, and anything, but say it like it is. But God help us, that so we might be able to be honest before God and before each other and with our own hearts. To be real. To be genuine and not a hypocrite or pretense as we've been hearing the brethren sharing from God's Word. To put on a front. One day the mask will be pulled down on the judgment seat. There'll be no front put on there. No. There was a man in there at the wedding and the master come in. He saw him in there with a wedding garment. He says, friend, how come a sound hither? Because he was speechless. No stories any longer, was there? No. No excuses. No alibis. No trying to get around the bush. He was speechless. He said, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the fire. If our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, I suppose that has to do a lot with our attire. What do you think? Or should we skip this one? Thank you. Did you catch in the one of the first chapters we read, not fashioning yourselves to your former lust in your ignorance? There in Peter's epistle, First Peter chapter 1. Not fashioning yourselves to your former lust. We could say a lot of things here on this. But I'm a thorough believer that the Bible teaches when you are washed and you are made clean, your wardrobe will change too. There was an old brother, and he's long gone to his regal ward. He lived in our community. He went to public school not too far from us. And one day he was converted, and he was in 10th grade in high school, and he went to school the next day. And he went into the class and sat in his room, and the girl in front of him looked around and said, What happened to you? He says, I got converted last night. She said, you got what? He says, I got converted last night. Well, she said, I don't like it. See, it used to be when people were converted, they changed. Yes. I should have brought a picture of my wife along. She don't like when I do that. I have it with me. It's up there in the briefcase before she was converted. I told you, she went to a pretty popular high school. She was a popular girl in that school. And she wasn't a plain girl when I first met her. Not at all. But between 10th and 11th grade, she gave her heart to Jesus Christ and she put a covering on and she went to school like that. And it was a tremendous difficulty for her and a shock to the school because of who she was. See, I was an old nobody, but she was somebody. A transformation. A total change. Our clothing, I believe, is very important. You know, when we meet people, it's a divine encounter. Whether it's in Seattle, Washington, at a gas pump, or wherever it might be, many and lots of people in life, we meet one every meet them once. And you know what happens when we meet someone? They both are living souls, so therefore it's a divine encounter. We need to remember that. And when we part, we will have left an impression on each other. Sometimes that impression might not be much. Sometimes it might be a lot. But it is said that you remember people most 
Number one, by the words they say, and number two, by the clothes they wear. That's what you'll remember that person by. Sometimes it might be the way they said their words. When a person pounds and gets angry and face gets red and they stomp their feet, sometimes you remember the way they do things rather than what they do. And by the way, that has to do with our speech. Anger is another thing in this here heart of ours. The, the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 4, that verse just now come to me, verse 6, it says something like this, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Now notice carefully the next arrangement of words, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Not what, but how. And that's what salt does. It savors things. Jesus said salt's good. And I like salt. And I like it on my lima beans. And I like it on my eggs. And I, you know, Job even says you can't eat the white of an egg without salt on it. In chapter 6, you've got to have some salt. I like salted popcorn and salted peanuts. People say, now nah, you don't go too far in salt. Too much isn't good for you. Well, I tell them Jesus said it's good. I went one time to have meetings in a place. And this lady, I moved, we moved in with her and her husband. She said, now, now Brother David... I sort of help, hate to tell you this, but we sort of eat natural around here. And I thought, that's okay. Whatever you give me, you'll be fine. And she said, well, we're on what they call the hallelujah diet. I said, oh, well, I've been on that ever since I'm saved. But she had another thing in mind. Yeah, she did. And she said, we don't eat salt on our food around here. And I said, that's just fine. So her and I had a joke about that the whole way through. And you know what? The last night in the way home church, she turned around and said, Brother David, I'm going to make an apology to you. She says, you're right. Jesus did say salt is good. And we can eat a little bit of it. Seasoned with salt is how you say things. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And you also are the salt of the earth. The light is what you do. The salt is how you do it. And it's real important. So maybe that leaves impressions on people. The way we say the words, I'd like to say this, that I believe every piece of clothing you purchase, buy, or make is probably done to a more or less degree with a deliberate purpose of who you do or do not want to identify with. And that's really critical. And I know that's a big thing, not just for young people, for older people too. Identity, that's a big thing. So I want you to think about that. Does God want me to be adorning His temple with name brand clothing? What do you think? Maybe it don't matter. I'm not saying it does. I want you to ask God that question. I want you to just think that through a little bit. Who am I going to identify with? When people see me in public, when people see me out there in the world, am I going to identify with the sports heroes or with God's heroes? I want you to think that through a little bit. Is my clothes fashionable? And our clothes need to cover the nakedness of our body. The Bible tells us we're to be modest. Well, there's a ruling principle in Scripture behind modesty. Modesty is not just the principle in Scripture. Behind that principle, it is that it is a shame to uncover the form and nakedness of our body. And there's something about that with our original sin. You know, when Adam sinned and God finally found them hiding, God's first question to them was, who told you you're naked? That's what it was. He said, did you eat of that tree? And then God, there at the end, took 
coats of skins, and he says he clothes, C-L-O-T-H-E, he clothes them. I want you to just think about that scripture, and you follow it all the way through the Bible, it's there from beginning to end, the word clothed. It's real important to cover the nakedness of your body. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, the Laodicean church, that they would buy fine linen and that the shame of their nakedness would not appear. Now, there is the principle. It's a shame to be naked and to expose the nakedness of our bodies. And you can read the pages of history and you can read the pages of God's Word. When people undress their bodies, it's always because they depart from God and serve Baal and Satan. Whether it's the children of Israel dancing around the calf at the foot of the mount when Moses was at the top, it says they were naked to their shame because they denied their God and worshipped an idol. Whether it's Ham who walked into his father Noah's tent and saw his nakedness, God said, Cursed be Ham because of that. The other two boys took a blanket or a sheet and walked in backwards so they wouldn't see the nakedness of their father. It's probably a little bit more important than what people think, at least in our generation today, with the scanty dressing that's going on and all the, 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 the uh, exposure of the nakedness of the body. Why, a hundred years ago, it would have been a shame. You would have blessed to no end, even, un- even unbelieving people, to see the exposure that we are getting accustomed to today. And it's just sort of the norm, or the way it is. But it's not God's norm. No, it is not. And I just want to really emphasize this as an important factor to you young people to keep your bodies, keep them covered. Bible storybooks reveal John the Baptist with a scanty thing around his waist, camel's hair. That's not what the Bible says. It says John was clothed. The legion who Jesus cast many devils out of he was so powerful they couldn't bind him with chains and fetters. He'd burst them and he couldn't keep clothes on. But when Jesus came that wild, wicked heart of his and Satan was gone, did he come out to see him? And there he was, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed. Same word, clothed and in his right mind. Do you ever wonder how we're dressed in heaven? Do you ever wonder how the angelic beings dress? That's what the Bible tells you. The Bible even tells us how Jesus is dressed. Yes, the Bible says in Mark's Gospel, when they saw that angel at the roll of stone away, it, was, uh, it had a long, white, glistening, is the word I believe used, shining garment. And when John the Revelator saw Jesus in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, says he was clothed with a garment, where to? Down to the knee? No, down to the foot. Maybe I'm belaboring this point, but I think it's a neglected truth in our society and generation in which we live today. And you don't really hear too much preaching against it or about it anymore. Indeed, you do not. But if you just take out your books and your pictures of a hundred years ago, even unbelieving worldly people, you hardly ever saw anybody with short sleeves, hardly any. Well, they had so much regulations at the public beaches in America, I don't see how they ever could swim with that much material. They actually, some of them had yardages that they had to include. So many yards of bathing suits had to include before they were allowed on that beach. I think I'd have sunk. Well, I do anyhow. I'm not a swimmer. I swim like a rock, go right to the bottom. But I'm sure I wouldn't have been able to, to swim with that much on. I can't believe how much it was. Boy, it's not been long ago in our little town right there in Lebanon. A man on the street without a shirt would have been fined $5. 
not long at all. But when society corrupts, the clothes come off. The sad thing is, it's not all in the world. But we see too much of it among God's people. Too many of the buttons. First this one, then another, then another, then the sleeves. I don't know if the scissors work too good, but they just keep getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And the necklines are getting lower and lower. My friends, this is not what God designed for you to be a sanctified, separate temple for the living God. He wants you to cover your body up. I don't see no clock. That's pretty good. Bless the Lord. Back here, isn't it? Praise the Lord for that. Unwholesome influences. It can be people. It can be books. It can be magazines. It can be our cell phones. Last night we talked a little about God's phone. And then we have our phones. You know, I think... I think if the food we eat is sanctified, I believe our clothes need to be sanctified. I believe we need to ask ourselves the question, is my cell phone sanctified? Let's just say, this is my cell phone. Do I have a sanctified cell phone? Well, friends, if I'm looking at things that aren't sanctified, apparently it's not sanctified. James says, out of the same fountain, you can't have bitter water and sweet water. It don't work that way. Does it? No, it doesn't. Well, they say it's amoral. It's just plastic and some, some little tubes and stuff in there that man made. And that stuff by nature, it's not, it's not evil. It's a little like your car, they say. You can get in your car and drive to the bar, or you can get in your car and drive to the church. It's all in how you use it. But I want to tell you there's something else more detrimental here than a car. And what it is, it says that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. When I was a young boy, we had to go to the city to find evil and commit sin for the most part. But today the city has come to us. Today Lot don't have to go to, 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 uh, to Gomorrah anymore or Sodom. Today Sodom is right here in his church pocket. All he has to do is pull it out and there's Sodom. The things that I'm looking at on my cell phone that I'm doing... Like our brother said today, it's destroying so many young people. It's defiling their temples. So much immorality is being so brought right to them and put before them, and, and they are. It's seductive. It's what it is. It's seductive, and it seduces them, and it sends them for a world. Some of them, they don't know which ends up, and they don't know how to handle it. And they don't want to do it, but they get caught in this thing and looking at pornography on the cell phone. Fellas, if you ever go to date a girl, I want you to do something. Go ask her father first. And I don't know if that's strange doctor in California or not, but it is dignity for you to do that. Question I'd ask a young man is, well, he wasn't asking to date my daughter. You know, this happened by God. I didn't try this. I didn't pre-think of this. He came to me and was talking to me and was wanting to know some things. And all of a sudden, it just came into my mind. I said, when's the last you viewed pornography? Boom, his head went down and he was caught. 
I don't think he was expecting me to say that, ask that question either. He just looked down and said, not long ago, last week. But I tell you what, he was dressed right. He looked right. He sounded right. Sounded good. But I tell you, it, it, it is, it is defiling our dear young people. You'd be better off without your cell phone. It's going to get you into that stuff. Don't be surprised when you ask a man if you can take his daughter's hand in courtship if he asks you that question. Keep yourself pure. Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.22, Paul says, Keep thyself pure. Just three short words. Keep thyself pure. Look, just like our brother said today, you had this twice today, okay? Maybe you'll get us some more this week. Brother Andy was so faithful there in sharing. Keep your virginity for your spouse. Keep it right like a sanctified temple. Keep it holy, set apart for that one you will marry someday. Unto God. If you don't marry someone, keep it unto God. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. But many young men is struck and the sin and the viper. Remember, irregardless of how sweet sin is in the commission, the end thereof will bite like a serpent and sting like a natter, the Bible says. Yes, it will. When you're bit, it's gone. It's gone. Keep thyself pure. We sang some beautiful hymns tonight. And the compiler of that book we were singing out was John J. Overholt. About 33 years ago, I, I, I heard him give his personal testimony. I'm going to give it to you people tonight. Probably some of your parents have heard that from him himself too. But I'm going to give it to you because probably a lot of you don't remember too much about John. I think Brother John's going about 13 years. But about 33 years, he preached in our fellowship meetings there in the summer. And he gave the experience of World War II when he was called to go and he was going to Europe, some kind of uh, service, and he was going to take a load of horses or mules. I'm not sure I have all that, those details right. And he was going to Europe during World War II. And he knelt down in his Ohio home with his parents in the living room and he prayed and he vowed to God this prayer to his parents and to God. And I want you to do the same thing. Lord, bring me back pure or bring me back dead. That's just how it is. He guarded his purity with his life. And I want you to do the same thing. His testimony was, God brought him back pure. But I want to tell you, a lot of American boys couldn't say that. A lot of them were defiled. And they lost. Their blessed, pristine purity that God blesses you with as young people. Guard it with your life. That's just how important it needs to be. Our music, we could say a lot on that. God gives you wisdom to choose only godly music. But I'd like to give you something else to think about about music tonight. Maybe this is a little different. You know, there was a time in... Israel's day, they were taken captive, I believe it's in Psalms 137, where they were there and the people of that land said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. They said, we can't. How can we sing a song of Zion in a strange land? We've hanged our harps upon the willows. 
And you know, I think that's what the electronic music playing devices have done at large to God's people. They've stolen the song from our hearts, and now we've hanged our hearts upon the CD player. And I just want to emphasize the importance of keeping songs in your heart. The Bible says you're to sing in psalms and spiritual songs and hymns, making melody in your heart, in here, in your heart, not on a musical instrument, in here. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm not saying you can't ever listen to a, a CD player, but in here is where you need to have your songs. And I'm thankful I have a mother that grew, when I grew up as a little boy, and, and she went around her housework and in the kitchen, and she taught me many of the songs that I learned. She was a singing mother. I'm thankful for singing parents. I'm thankful I learned to sing. God put a new song in my heart. When we are converted, I had songs before I was converted from the radio in my heart. Yes, I did. I could sing them top ten hits, word for word. And I tried my best to get rid of that. Before I was converted, I knew I was wrong. I knew I needed to change this thing. But not until I took those radios and smashed them to pieces and said, God, this is it. Did he take that desire out of my heart? Then he put a new song in my heart. God's more interested in harmonics, not electronics. He wants it down there. Sing. Keep singing. Singing does something for you. Then maybe you won't be so confused about what kind of music to listen to. It's a good way to learn new songs, singing from a cassette or a tape or whatever it might be, a CD or whatever ways they have these days. Keep yourself pure. Body language, seductive attire and ornaments is things that don't belong to the temple of the living God. They are part of that unbelieving world around us. I think we need to move quickly here to an end. Think about your body for a while in closing. I'm going to close with this one. And more I could say. Your body. Did you not understand from the scriptures that we read there that your body is the temple of the living God? And when I think of that, I shall never forget the first time the Holy Ghost came into my body. It totally made a different personality. I was so shy. I was so backwards. When I was young, I couldn't stand up and recite in school. That was one of the hardest, most difficult things for me to do. But when the Holy Ghost came into me, I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I mean, I just talked and praised the Lord and sang, and, and He changed me all around. But to think the Holy Ghost lives in my body, and I believe that means all of our body, from the sole of our foot to the top of the hairs on our heads, and all of that is to be sanctified for God. Have sanctified feet. Sanctified feet. How beautiful are the feet of them that bring good tidings of great joy. Sanctified legs. Sanctified arms. Sanctified hands. Take these hands, Lord, and sanctify them. Even sanctifi sanctified nails, girl. Yeah, let the Lord sanctify your nails. Well, I said, I wouldn't want to live with a woman that had red on her fingernails. Well, my wife needs bread by hand. Throw that red stuff would come off and get in the bread and have these red streaks. We'd have marble bread. Poor one lady, she was crying. The Lord was convicting her heart and the makeup was running down off her face from her tears. Yes, all that stuff that we put on our, our, our bodies, the tattoos, the jewelry, and all the stuff that people put on themselves today. Keep your body 
sanctified. Even your ears. Yes. Even your nose. That's part of it. Your mouth, your chin, your beard, boys. What about that? Now, I'll tell you a story quick here. I was working on a roof with a man one time. He didn't have a beard, and I did. And he came to me, and while we were working, he said, so David, uh, you have a conviction to have a beard, don't you? And uh, I hesitated a little bit to answer him. Well, 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 you do, don't you? I don't think you should have a beard if you don't have conviction to have a beard. And he pushed this issue pretty, pretty strong, and I was sort of uh, hesitating, and he saw that, and he didn't like that. And I said, well, brother, I said, it really doesn't say thou shalt not shave in the, in the, in the New Testament. And, uh, well, he says, I still think you should have a conviction to have a beard. And I always thought of a conviction as something that clear in Scripture that I believed that I'd be willing to die for. And I wasn't sure my beard was quite that strong. So I waited a while and paused and asked the Lord. And I believe the Lord gave me a right answer. I asked him after a while. I said, Brother, do you have conviction to have eyebrows? <laughs> you should have heard that, man. Such a going on, he went around and around. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah I, I, well, I think I do. Well, I'm not sure I do, then he said. Then after a while, he said, well, yeah, I believe I do. And he went back and forth, and he just wasn't sure. Well, I said, that's a little how it is. God put it all in your face. I said, he put the beard there, and he's real faithful. I said, you can take it off, and he'll put it right back. He'll do it every day. I said, you really don't need to have Scripture for something God puts in your face every day, do you? No, well, no, no. He says, oh, I see the point. He grew a beard. Still has one. He's a good brother. So, just remember, you're not your own. It's God and your eyebrows, girls. Yeah, they're, they're God's too. Yeah, them little eyebrows God gave to you. Seems like some of them just can't leave them alone. But they are all God's. Yes, they are. And He wants you to glorify Him. Sometimes we have certain lengths of sideburns, certain kinds of styles of beards, goatees, mustaches, all because of what? Identity. So let's just ask God to help me in my body. Keep your covering on your hair, girls. That's God's perfect design that you have your head covered. There's power there because of the angels, the Scripture says. Yeah, and then the hairs, they can, that hair on our head, that beautiful hair that God gave you, just keep it in its natural lines where God has created it, and it can be a blessing to you. God bless you, dear young people, tonight. I think I'm going to let Peter close this service. May you keep yourselves sanctified as a holy temple of the living God. God bless you.